you know, we're not uh, morally safer. Is that a guy? Is he still alive? All right. Anyway. <laughs> Teach me about the Great Lakes. Teach me about the Great Lakes. Cha. Welcome back to Teach Me About the Great Lakes, a twice monthly, allegedly, podcast <laughs> in which I, a Great Lakes novice, ask people who are smarter and harder working than I am to teach me all about the Great Lakes. My name is Stuart Carlton. I work with Illinois Indiana Sea Grant, and I think I just heard Megan Gunn's music. Megan, how are you? I'm good, Stuart. How are you doing? I'm so good. So the funny thing is, I told myself, next time Megan is on the show, I am going to totally have her title down and... Um, <laughs> Because you have you're one of two people where there are too many words in yes. your title. Um, oh, it's not that many words. Just three words. Yeah, <laughs> two word titles. I, I, once it gets about the second word. Anyway, Megan <laughs> is our aquatic education associate. How are you today? I'm good. Can I tell you? I know that like climate change is not great, but I'm really enjoying this mild weather right now, yep. where I can walk around and no, no, no. breathe, and breath is not freezing my lungs. <laughs> no, I yes, I agree with all that. We uh, you know, so as an academic or a failed academic or whatever you would describe my job as, um, uh, we spend a lot of time moving around and not having a lot of say over where we could where we're going to live, right? Um, but we're always just hoping to end up somewhere with four mild seasons. We did not know. The way we move to the middle of Indiana, that would be the place with four mild seasons. But we're about to climate change our way there. Um, yes. You know, the thing is, you might as well take the uh, bitter with the sweeter. In this case, the sweet. Yes. The bitter. It is, is sweet right now, despite like you viewers cannot see me, but I have on a very yeah. warm winter hat just because yeah. my ears are cold earlier. But yeah, it's nice outside now. <laughs> there we go. But that's not why we're here today. It's not why we're, we're here. here. No, it's not why we're here. We're here for a couple of reasons. One to remind everybody that coming up, as soon as we schedule are the Lakeys, uh, the 2023 Lakey Awards. They might not come out to early January because I'm looking at the calendar. And we're running out of time. But um, that is uh, quite possibly not the least prestigious uh, podcast, Great Lakes podcast related award. So uh, I want you to, the nominations are closed for Lakeys, but keep your eyes out for those. It's one of my two or three favorite things we do each year. Yes. That'll be coming, but it might be a week or two late. Normally we like to make it our last episode of the year, but uh, this has been the year of inconsistency. And that is Life is happening right now. Boy, is it. Boy, is it. Well, you know what? we got a cool guest, so let's just jump straight into it. Um, our, oh wait, I'm supposed to hit the dag nabbit. How about this one? Uh, our guest today is Heather Starrett, and she is the director of the IJC Great Lakes Regional Office. And that is in, uh, is that in, is that Windsor? Is that in Windsor? It is in Windsor, Stuart. Good job. And I am so grateful to be here with you and Megan today. This is a real honor. I think this is our fir first podcast with you all, I think. I I think yes. so. I don't think we've had IJC, although at this point we've done about, uh, this will be 90 or 91. So they start mm -hmm. to bleed together after a while. Um, mm -hmm. Embarrassingly enough. No, it's super great. And Windsor, of course, is where the IAGLER conference will be this coming spring. So we'll be doing a live show from there. Indeed it will be. And we're working really closely with the IAGLER planning committee right now. It's going to be a very exciting week oh, in nice. Windsor. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm already fired up. Yeah. Starting to get <laughs> There are so many acronyms here. Um, yeah. Because this is your first time here, can you tell us what IJC stands for and what it is? Oh, yes. What it does? <laughs> yes, I would be happy to start with that great question. So the International Joint Commission, also known as the IJC, 
Um, we've had a really rich history, Megan. Uh, it dates all the way back to 1909 when the first Boundary Waters Treaty was signed by the U.S. and Canada. So uh, we, under that treaty, um, really do work across transboundary shared waters to resolve and prevent disputes over, over the waters that the two countries have jurisdiction for. Um, and so we really do work on approving projects that affect water levels, flows, and um, probably one of the most important roles that we serve is investigating transboundary issues and making recommendations back to the governments on solutions in those regards. So what are issues here? That sounds like CSI Ooh. or something. But I assume <laughs> <you mean. laughs> uh, it's not quite that exciting, but I would say that um, we have a lot of a lot of issues that relate to um, drinking water quality, looking at commercial shipping, hydroelectric power generation, agriculture, ecosystem health. Um, and we really do consider water quality here in the Great Lakes to be a paramount concern. So those are many of the issues that we look at and try to advise the governments on. That's awesome. And so what do you um, so when you investigate that? So so Harry also said, I guess, where's your funding come from? Um and and so so who do you work for? <laughs> so, uh, that's a great question. So we actually receive our funding from both the U.S. and the Canadian governments. Mm -hmm. um, it comes in as a federal line item in the appropriations that we receive. Um, but when it comes to the way that we work as a government, we really do make it um, a priority to represent the commission first. And so we're not wearing... Uh, necessarily the hats of our respective national uh, countries, so to speak, mm -hmm. the, the folks who issue our passports, so to speak, but rather mm -hmm. um, representing that sort of shared interest in uh, managing these shared waters appropriately. Yeah. Is that, is that a conflict that comes up? Well, I guess so. Sometimes you have to advocate or whatever. Maybe you won't use the term advocate because that's a, that can be a contentious term. But sometimes you have to put the, the, the commission's interest kind of uh, if there's tension between the two nations. So. Absolutely. We serve as a, I would say, almost like a third party evaluator that advises the governments on where those types of issues are really rising to a level of concern that would um, promulgate some type of a reference or a request from the governments for the IJC to step in and, and assess what's going on. Um, and so you're at the Great Lakes Regional Office, which I think is also home to an early friend of the show um, who has not appeared on it, but we've been in contact with a lot, which is Allison Vogelsong uh, Zinyadi. But uh, you're there with Allison. Um, what, yeah, what do y'all do at the Great Lakes? Why is there a Great Lakes Regional Office if it's the Commission on the Great Lakes or whatever. I'm very confused. What yeah. do y'all do at the Great Lakes Regional Office? Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about that. So the Great Lakes Regional Office was actually mentioned in the Great Lakes Water Quality Agreement. It was signed many years after the 1909 Boundary Waters Treaty. But that Boundary Waters Treaty really recognized the IJC's role for transboundary issues and looking at those deeply. And so the Great Lakes Water Quality Agreement recognized that role and it commits the governments of Canada and the United States to work together to restore and maintain the water quality and the health of our Great Lakes Basin. So in that agreement, the Great Lakes Regional Office was named. And um, 
to, to just get right down to it, we have several roles which are really specific to that agreement. Um, we're required to take a look at analyzing and disseminating data around the water quality of the Great Lakes. Um, we work on general objectives, lake ecosystem health, and we provide advice and recommendations to the parties of that particular agreement on social, economic, um, environmental aspects of, of the water quality in the Great Lakes. We also do a lot of support and technical assistance for our Great Lakes Water Quality Board and Great Lakes Science Advisory Boards and their sub-organizations. And then finally, we have a role which is to provide public notice and outreach for the activities, including like public hearings, public meetings that are undertaken by the board and our commission-related um, efforts. Is this how the triennial report came about? Yes, yes. Good question, Megan. So, you know, the triennial assessment um, report is mandated under the agreement as well. And that report is generally directed back to the parties. That's the U.S. and Canadian governments, EPA and Environment Climate Change Canada serve as the co-chairs of the Great Lakes Executive Committee for implementation of the agreement. So the goal of the triennial assessment report is to assess the progress of the governments against the goals and objectives in the agreement. Um, Stuart, have you ever been a independent evaluator of the U.S. or Canadian governments? It's hard. Have, it's a hard job. Not, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, that sounds virtually impossible. How, so how do you do that? So how do you evaluate? I mean, are you pulling in secondary data sources? Are you going out and talking to people? What's the deal? Yeah, both actually. Um, the Great Lakes Regional Office does issue on an annual basis several new projects and studies that we um, are advised to conduct by our boards and that the commissioners review and then approve. But ultimately, we are constantly building the foundation under which um, recommendations would move forward through the triennial assessment of progress. And so um, the process really in putting together a TAP is, well, blood, sweat and tears for sure. <laughs> our staff um, definitely lean into this report. It is what they are living and breathing for almost a year and a half to two years. Wow. So every three years, we put this report together. And it really has started when EPA and ECCC deliver two important reports on the status. They, they released the State of the Great Lakes report. And that kind of tells folks about ecosystem indicators. Mm -hmm. It helps folks understand the status and trends relative to the health of the lakes. And then the second report that they release is the progress report of the parties. And that details what programs, practices, activities the parties have completed over the last three years. Once we get those two reports, the commission then considers both of them and then gathers and summarizes input, public and otherwise, on it. We conduct our own assessments with the governments and then release it through the findings in the Triennial Assessment of Progress Report. It's it's a Great. super heavy lift. And I'm really, really proud to say that we just delivered our Triennial Assessment of Progress um, on November 9th. And we've been Yay. doing a lot of outreach around that. So we appreciate the invitation to share oh, here. Yeah. Anytime. Okay, so that makes sense. So I, I was reading through the report. It's it's a it's it's something like eighty pages, but it's a very readable eighty mm -hmm. pages. I mean, for a federal government evaluation, um, <laughs> which is uh, you know it's not a thriller, but it, well, maybe it is a thriller. I don't know. It depends on your perspective. <laughs> but um, 
I thought the way you structured it was really clever. Like my, my view on the structure, I think because I stole it from the headings, uh, is that it, it goes like past, present, and future, right? Sort of looking back, then assessing where we are, and then, and then looking to the future. And um, I think the idea behind that is that uh, you want to talk about where you're coming from, where you are now, and then your recommendations are the future. But let's, let's take those sort of one at a time. In the beginning, you review 50 years of the Great Lakes Water Quality Agreement, which I thought was interesting. I hadn't really thought about it in, in that much in that way. And so I'm curious as to what your thoughts are like. How has it evolved over those 50 years as we look through that review? Because this is a major agreement for the Great Lakes, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely, Stuart. So the freshwater resources of this region have been and remain worth protecting and restoring, right? 40 million people relying on the region for safe drinking water sustenance. So when we think about folks who actually obtain a portion of their protein from fishing, Mm -hmm. um, commerce, commerce and transportation are huge in this region, really serving as um, the entry point for a lot of the Rust Belt communities um, here in terms of much of the GDP and our, it really is the epicenter, if you will, of our blue economy here in the lakes, Uh, third largest gross domestic product in the world, I might add. So you know, suffice it to say, drinkable, fishable, swimmable. That's the mantra here under mm-hmm. the Great Lakes Water Quality Agreement. So the champions of that first signed agreement really knew well that it would take a multinational approach to ensure protection of these waters over time. They knew that what happened on one side of the ponds would ultimately or could ultimately result in unintended impacts on the other side. So that transboundary watershed and shared concern for careful management of these treasured natural spaces, it runs super deep, super mm-hmm. deep. Um, so I would say, you know, that was that was really where we got started. That was what they got right from the beginning. Um, and then, you know, it's meant to evolve over time. And so we've seen a lot of um, new emerging stressors that come up in these dynamic systems all the time. For example, climate change, right? Climate change Mm -hmm. is real. It's happening now. The rate of change in these freshwater systems is mind-blowing. Some examples, right? Like, did you know that Lake Superior is the fastest warming body of freshwater on the globe? Um, Did not. Well, hold on. Heather, sorry. Uh, You're just going to have to put up with this. So um, (laughs) that sounds alarming to me like a Great Lakes factoid. So what we're going to do is I'm going to play the Great Lakes factoid uh, theme music, and then you're going to repeat that factoid. And we're okay. going to keep all of this in so that everybody sees how competent we are. This is really <laughs> All right. So it's just 10 seconds. You'll I'll, I'll point to you like this when it's time. Okay, okay. It's a Great Lakes factoid. A Great Lakes factoid. It's a great factoid about the Great Lakes. Cha. Stuart, did you know that Lake Superior is the fastest warming body of fresh water on the globe? On the globe? On the globe. So many studies have been done to document this. And... Um, that's why I was speaking specifically about that rate of change being mind blowing. Um, we see temperatures rising. We see now, sadly, we are starting to see harmful algal blooms occur in what is the cold, one of the coldest Great Lakes, uh, certainly here in the region, but on the globe as well. And that's Lake Superior. It's the deepest. It's the coldest. And we now have harmful algal blooms happening there where they were not present. Wow. And um, the idea is it was, it was too cold there to have harmful algal yeah. blooms. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, a lot going on in these systems. Um, We have, you know, new stressors like microplastics that are now showing up in our monitoring data. 
Um, there's some real pressures on the systems right now, and we have to be evolving with that over time. So the Great Lakes Water Quality Agreement does provide those on-ramps to continually assess what is happening in the systems and then to report back on the progress that is keeping those systems available and um, protected for many generations to come. So on the present side, um, you talk about the status and trends of the lakes and they're all listed as unchanging. Good and changing for Superior and Huron, poor and unchanging for Erie, and the rest of them are fair and unchanging. But we're doing a, we've been doing a lot of things, and this, this review is happening every three years, right? Um, we're doing a lot of things for it just to be unchanging. Are we just spinning our wheels? Are we actually making a difference? What is happening? Yeah, so uh, amazing point, Megan. I would say that it's really important when we consider the status and trends to think about the size and the scope and the magnitude of these systems. So, you know, I talk to my ocean friends all the time, they would come to visit and they're absolutely awestruck by the fact that our Great Lakes behave in many ways, not all, but in many ways like oceans. <laughs> um, that said, you know, we don't have lunar tides. Instead, mm -hmm. we have wind-driven seiche events. Um, and, you know, these are bodies that are large enough that they create their own weather and climate. That's pretty amazing. Um, we have actual uh, storms on the Great Lakes that result in wave heights that top 30 feet in our severe weather. Um, sure that the audience who listens to this podcast is, has heard at least at some point in time of the gales of November on Lake Superior, right? <laughs> yes, um, we have. <laughs> it, it's it's no joke. These are big systems. So it takes a very, very long time for these systems to demonstrate a huge change in the status and trends. Um, but to your point, Megan, you know, how do we know that we're making progress, right? Uh, it's clear we're in a much better place today than we were many decades ago. For example, okay. Our rivers aren't catching fire. That's true. That's a good thing. It's <laughs> a big um, deal. <laughs> yeah. We, we, we're seeing these beneficial use impairments um, being actively removed from existing yeah. areas. And we are also seeing some of these historic legacy areas of concern where we've seen just a ton of pollution concerns being expressed that they're being delisted all the time now. And that's, that's real progress that we can hang our hats on. That's awesome. That makes me feel better. Yeah, exactly. But I think a lot about this idea. You know what? I'm not going to go there. Well, uh, but I'll give the background <laughs> just for the FYI. Uh, we had an interesting panel discussion of uh, there's a film called um, Eerie Situation that this guy named I'm David. Familiar. Yeah. And so yeah. We, we watched. Yeah, we 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 played that um, for some students at Green Week as part of uh, part of Green Week here at Purdue. And in a really great panel discussion, David Rock, the director, wasn't there, but we had some professors there. And, and you know, uh, everybody liked the documentary, but there were many parts of it that were simplifications because your job as a documentarian is to simplify things into a story. And mm -hmm. professor's job is to do quite the opposite. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> um, uh, sometimes detrimentally so. But, but one impression the students got from it is that Lake Erie is totally hosed and um, and uh, is worse now than it's ever been and and maybe I will keep this in and and but it but actually Lake Erie is the best overall that it's been by many indicators in quite some time right so it's interesting to see how these different it depends on what you're looking at it depends on the scale you're looking at both mm -hmm. time scale uh, geographic scale and, and things like 
that. So I feel like a lot of the lakes are in better condition in many ways, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're in perfect condition and the scale is really relevant. Yeah, I would just say, Stuart, I think you kind of nailed it right. It's it's we're making progress if the baseline was how things were back in the early, well, I would say late 1960s, right? When we did see rivers catching on fire and pollution was running rampant and we had a lot of historic sins of the past that we really have been working concertedly since 2010 and even earlier than that before GLRI um, to really try to rectify. And I think the message here is an ounce of prevention, right? If we can Mm -hmm. try really hard to get out in front and that requires that we're monitoring, constantly monitoring Mm -hmm. these systems, um, then we can be in a better position, a much more proactive position to be able to one, name it, name what that new threat is, two, keep an eye on it, three, start to to mitigate and, and work to resolve those types of issues. settle on what recommendations that you're making for our future progress? Yeah, that's a good question. So I will tell you, and and again, this kind of relates back to the TAP. We try to keep the Triennial Assessment of Progress Report very current and relevant to the day, time, and age when it is produced and published. So it's hard. We oftentimes get this question of, well, how do you decide what rises, right? So the International Joint Commission actually conducts like 10 to 15 new projects per year, roundabout. And in each of those projects, we have at least one, probably many recommendations that get issued. So if you do the math there, right, it's it's hundreds, hundreds mm-hmm. of recommendations over a, a three-year period. Not everything can rise. Um, if everything were to rise, it would make it super difficult, right, for, for the governments to actually absorb yeah. and respond and implement those. And so for the TAP, we really did look at this particular 2023 report as an opportunity to distill things up to the top three to five recommendations that we wanted to put before the governments. Just for those who don't know, uh, speaking of acronyms, the TAP is the Triennial Assessment of Progress, which is what we're talking about. Okay. And so you picked three. Yeah. Because I was going to say, I've got dozens of recommendations. I don't even know anything <laughs> about anything. Um, mm-hmm. But you need, to pick, you need to put all your wood behind just a couple of arrows, I guess. Is that yes. yeah, that's still something we can say, right? I think so. And those previous um, recommendations from the other reports, you know, they stand. Uh, mm-hmm. For as long as as they need to stand, or until somebody fully implements them, um, and so they don't go away. It's just that they may not be the top thing that we're reporting on in that triennial report. Yeah. I want to hear about the recommendations, but before I forget, so do you ever re-recommend stuff? Like if there if sufficient progress is not 
because I've only this is the only tap I've I've uh, read. I'll be honest. Uh, yes, in fact, yes, in fact, we have done that. We have okay. we have reiterated important recommendations in previous tap reports, um, and many of the recommendations, even for this tap report, are grounded in foundational work that we've previously reported on. Sure. Nice. Okay, well, let's talk about your recommendations. They're they're in this one. Um, these are really interesting. Let's uh, go through whichever one you want to talk about first. Let's do that one. How about let's talk about the science of the region. Yes. So we have spent a lot of time looking at our, our current science, the state of the, the gaps with proactive and comprehensive science and monitoring programs. Um, the commission had concluded going into this particular reporting um, cycle that existing science and monitoring efforts focused on indicator reporting for assessing progress would really benefit from complementarity efforts towards the development of a Great Lakes science plan, one that's just focused on this basin and that would really help us get to that proactive stance that I was just discussing, you know, around these threats and stressors. So the commission recommended that the parties support and actively participate in the Great Lakes Science Advisory Board's collaborative process to develop this 10-year Great Lakes Science Plan. We've got a two-year project that's just kicking off now. We just established a member-based collaborative to help us with that. And the U.S. and Canadian governments are both participating. And so we're seeing a lot of early indication that this is one that will go pretty far. Um, And we're very, very hopeful about what this new Great Lakes science plan will do for the region and and getting and earning that that sort of proactive stance. So how does it how does a science plan help with that? What, what, What does the science plan look like? Is that just like is it really broad in terms of these are the general thrusts of things we want to do or is there more specificity? Obviously, it doesn't exist yet. But if what what are you thinking with that? Yeah, so we 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 had some early work done on this particular element and um, through some contract arrangements and over, I think it was like 400 different scientists that we consulted with. Um, there's really six big bins of effort that need to be involved and focused on in this big science plan that we're working on. We think that there needs to be enhanced models and forecasting systems developed for some of these newly emerging issues that we're looking at. We want to see longer term monitoring efforts really focused on long time series um, measurements for things like harmful algal blooms, um, things like winter science, where we currently don't have a lot of infrastructure because, as you well know, our Great Lakes winters are pretty harsh and severe. So a lot of our monitoring equipment gets pulled during the winter months. Um, We want to invest in science infrastructure and centers of excellence that really are innovative and forward thinking. Um, Those that would include, for example, socioeconomic and cultural perspectives that have traditionally maybe not been solidly at the table. And we really want to make sure that that is um, something that's interwoven throughout the work that we would do in this next science plan. And then, of course, we want to have workforce development. Um, I can tell you for uh, certain, talking with our Great Lakes fleet of science vessels, you know, our crews, we often struggle to keep our vessels fully crewed during the field season months. Um, It's something that we need to focus on. A lot of our ships are um, aging and need Mm -hmm. replacement, need investment. 
And so these are areas where we see workforce um, capacity building opportunities to be uh, life-changing in terms of the work that needs to happen over the next several generations of work here in the Great Lakes region. If I didn't get super seasick, I would definitely volunteer to staff one of the boats. Megan, <laughs> you're a diver, I know. How do you get to your dive sites without... Oh, wait, but we have video of you, don't we? That's right. Yes. Video of I, did a, I did a lot of puking on the way to that yeah. location. That's right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Those are just like okay. gifts to Poseidon, right? Isn't that what they say? <laughs> gifts to Poseidon. Yeah. I love that. Oh, jeez. Oh, that's great. So the science, one of the real big themes of the show, if you like look at meta themes, which is something I do because um, what else am I going to do with my life, I suppose, but uh, is is the, the primacy and importance of government collected data because so many of our guests come on and they talk about long-term data sets that if it's not collected by the government or by university scientists funded by the government, it's not going to get collected. Um, and it seems to me like the science plan, you've, you're identifying a, a bunch of future sources of uh, really valuable decades-long data sets. How does something like that get implemented, though? Like, do y'all have, uh, you know, because because you're not a regulatory agency, right? You don't have much authority exactly in terms of uh, trying to put plans into work. So, so I'm all in on this science plan. How does it how does that happen? You know, Stuart, that's the big question right now. And that's what we're focusing on for the next two years. We're planning to get um, six different convenings together with a whole bunch, a whole variety of folks across the region um, to talk about governance, to talk about how the funding should flow to whom, who has the capacity to oversee something like this. Um, and our initial work on developing the strategy, the sort of underpinnings of what this plan would look like. Um, there were some initial cost estimates about what that would look like. And um, it's not an insignificant amount of funding. We're going to be working to refine those numbers going forward. But ultimately, we really do need to find um, source funding to work this through. We need to find entities who have the capacity to get funding out to the masses of folks who will need to work here. You know, there's some good examples of how this has been done in other countries. Mm -hmm. um, there are great examples, even here in the U.S., of large funding streams like the Great Lakes Restoration Initiative, for example. You know, that money initially comes into EPA, but then it gets diffused out amongst 16 federal agencies. And I can tell you, having worked for one of those federal agencies prior to this, 95% of the money that, that we at NOAA Office for Coastal uh, Management received, that went right back out to working with local communities. So a lot of that money went right back out through you know, grants and contracts um, to help those local folks on the ground do important work. That's what we're talking about with the science plan. We're talking about a governance structure that would bring in the necessary resources to focus on those six big bins, but where it would be diffused amongst many participants to actually help do that hard work. There's so many great academic institutions, Illinois, Indiana Sea Grant, great example, Purdue University, right? We've got McMaster and McGill, all of these folks who are doing amazing research here in the Great Lakes that could really benefit from a partnership like that. Yeah, that makes sense. So that's recommendation one is 10 year or a Great Lakes science plan thinking on decadal type, you know, really a, a decadal type timescales. Recommendation two that you want to focus on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we took a hard look at how, well, let me take a step back. 
So under the Great Lakes Water Quality Agreement, I mentioned that there is this requirement for us to produce a triennial assessment of progress report. Mm-hmm. We are required to do that every three years. And on the third issuance of that report, which would be nine years technically into the agreement, that triggers the governments to go back and do a full assessment of the agreement. We are now in in that time frame. And mm-hmm. so when we developed this TAP, we were really mindful of that. And one of the things that we were considering is how will First Nations, Métis, tribal governments be involved in that review process? Um, there, there has been so much interest in thinking about um, that and leaning into the intention, which should be active partnerships in mm-hmm. review of the agreement and in the subsequent processes that might change or amend the agreement. And so that was the recommendation. It was that the parties collaborate with First Nations, Métis, and tribal governments as active partners going forward. Which is what it should be, right? Like bring everybody that's impacted and involved in everything that's related to whatever the topic is, right? To the table so that they yes. can have to say. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. No, I like that, but it sounds like an act. So what I, I always worry about with, with First Nations and, and uh, our tribal partners is that I, I feel like there's oftentimes a lot of lip service paid, right? Um, at well-intentioned, I'm, I'm sorry, but but a lot of times it stops there. So I, I think if you're explicitly calling to incorporate um, people and, and representatives from there, that, that I, I find to be uh, good. And, and there are commissioners who represent them as well, right, as part of the, the International Joint Commission. Yes, that's an important point. So for the first time ever, the International Joint Commission does have an Indigenous commissioner. That's um, Henry Lickers, and we are so blessed to have him as a commissioner. He's really been helpful in terms of um, educating us, but also advising us about how to do this in a good way. And I think, you know, the thing that I've learned from him most is that it isn't a one-time engagement. It's a very much a long-term sustained conversation and it starts with active listening. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And it has to be, it has to be. Um, Excellent. Well, thank you for that. That sounds great. And I I really hope that, I hope that somebody's able to implement that. Well, recommendation number three. Yes. So this one is primarily oriented around scalable climate resiliency goals. And what we did was take a look at how the annexes are really thinking about scalable climate resiliency goals. What are the, um, what are the annexes? The annexes. There are 10 annex, annexes under the Great Lakes Water <laughs> Quality Agreement. Um, we have, for example, areas of concern, lake-wide action and management plans. Um, there are nutrients, and there there are 10 of them. And okay, so the really, annexes are essentially like big topics, uh, yes. environmental topics. Okay. Yes, and, and so what we did was take a look at how climate really was permeating all of those. Now, there is a climate annex, but what we wanted to do was think about this in the context of lake-wide action and management plans. So what we were suggesting is on this rolling basis of every five years, these development cycles for each of these plans, that the next version of each of those should articulate what those climate resiliency goals are and that they should be achievable, scalable, right? A smart recommendation for Mm -hmm. multiple levels of governments to 
act upon. Um, so we recommended that the parties in collaborations with all levels of government, regional watershed authorities and others, that they would develop these common basin-wide goals and that with transparent and accountable performance metrics, those would be included in each of the Annex to Lakewide Action and Management Plans. And so with these recommendations and your findings, oh, we didn't even get into the findings. We'll have to have you back on to talk about the findings. But you have your findings and your recommendations. Yeah. Uh, so uh, so we sort of got into it with the science plan, but what can people do to help? Who needs to implement these? Um, you know, you have to use your persuasive power, I suppose. Um, but uh, who needs to implement these uh, plans? And how does it get done or these um, recommendations? And how does it get done? Yeah. So the agreement is very clear about accountability, right? It, it leans heavily on the parties, U.S. and Canadian governments, but specifically the two federal agencies, EPA and ECCC. I think, you know, anybody who works here in the Great Lakes region knows that in reality, the implementers of the agreement span multi-nations. They uh, work to involve um, efforts at every level of government, non-governmental organizations, and the public. So the reality is we all have a role to play in implementing these recommendations. Um, I don't know, uh, Stuart, Megan, if you all have ever heard of this Jewish proverb, but it says, I ask not for uh, a lighter burden, but for broader shoulders. And oh, I what, like that. Yeah, right? So, so what I believe around the agreement is that the Great Lakes Water Quality Agreement is best implemented on the shoulders of many diverse contributors. And that mm -hmm. spans from the average Joe who's making a decision on his or her parcel of land about the viewshed. You know, are they going to have a hard armored shoreline or are they going to have a soft living shoreline to protect their property? Um, all the way up to a federal agency that is looking to invest in um, land use related uh, information and contribute towards uh, urban planning decisions on a small city scale, for example. Those are things that I think we can all do a better job around. Excellent. If us regular people want more information about how we can help, where where can we go to find out more information? Oh, of course. So there's so many different spots, right? There's never one stop shop. But I would just say that, you know, starting with a with a very basic understanding of the agreement, right? Read through the agreement. Mm -hmm. And then on, uh, two other places to go would be binational.net, where several of these reports that I've mentioned are posted. You can also visit our um, International Joint Commission website. We post all of our publicly uh, digestible reports on that website. Folks can go there. They can get contact information for what is an amazingly educated and expert staff that can really um, broaden horizons in terms of answering questions about concerns that folks might have as they relate to water quality. Um, so, uh, you know, there's a lot of information that's out there, but I would just say, you know, we at the Great Lakes Regional Office stand ready to answer any questions that folks might have. And we will put links to all of those in the show notes, which you can find in your podcast player right now, or teach me about the Great Lakes.com slash 90, number nine zero, because this is episode 90. Well, Heather, this has all been really interesting and it's important work that you're doing uh, with the triannual assessment and, and your ability to navigate through this really complicated bureaucratic system, I think is impressive and important. We need a lot of people like you and you're right about the staff. There's heavy hitters on the staff, <laughs> yeah. uh, some real heavy hitters, but that's actually not why we invited you here 
here on Teach Me About the Great Lakes this week. The reason we invited you on Teach Me About the Great Lakes is to ask you two questions. The first okay. of which is this. If you could choose to have a great donut for breakfast or a great sandwich for lunch, which one would you choose? I would choose a great sandwich for lunch. There's a place in Duluth that I literally cannot drive past um, without stopping to get a sandwich. Uh, Northern Water Smokehouse. It's amazing. Mm. And if I don't get a sandwich, then I would say their smoked fish, local smoked fish with a sleeve of saltines is to die for. Mm. Sounds like a road trip. <laughs> well, you know, that is home of Minnesota Sea Grand, right? Uh-huh. Uh, yes. All right. You know what? Someone else has recommended this smokehouse before because it's smokehouse with an H-A-U-S. Yeah. So this is a double recommendation. So we got to do it. But what about, so in, in the spring, we're going to be Windsor and we're going to go out and have some Windsor pizza because apparently that is a style of pizza, mm-hmm. um, which, uh, first of all, is it, I mean, you can be honest here because Carolyn isn't on. She says that there is a, <laughs> there, there is a quote, Windsor style of pizza and it's quote, a real thing. And nobody believes her. Is there a Windsor style of, here's the hard hitting question. Is there a Windsor style of pizza? Oh, Stuart, I am the wrong recipient for this question. I will just tell you, I'm not a pizza fan. And I know that makes me completely weird. Um, My family thinks I'm weird. But yes, I have not tried the local Windsor pizza, so I cannot attest to. That's fine. So what I'm saying is you cannot confirm. I just put this in a note to Carolyn. You cannot confirm the existence. (laughs) This is, you know what, I'm going to put the clip in right here. And listeners, you can, uh, you can, uh, you, we play, or you listen and then you decide on your own. All right. We report, you decide. That's what I meant to say. <laughs> All right. So what is Windsor style pizza? It's like a little it's bit Canadian juice. bacon. No, no, it does not have Canadian bacon because Canadian bacon is not a thing. All right. It's so ham. it's like a little bit chewier. Little Timmy's on it's it. It's like, no, it's a legit thing. Look it up. We report, you decide. Okay, good. Megan, take the second one. Yeah, so we also wanted to know what is a special place in the Great Lakes that you'd like to share with our audience and what makes it special? I love this question. So my husband and I, little known fact, we both worked for the U.S. Forest Service right out of college. And we worked for the U.S. Forest Service um, at the Superior National Forest. And so my special place that I always feel safe and secure and it's just deeply um, special to me is Grand Marais, Minnesota. Um, And not too far from there, I'll just share, we have a family cabin and it overlooks the boundary waters. While not in the Great Lakes, IJC, right? So we have to think about transboundary waters. I'll simply say it's beloved by all Starrett's and our loved ones alike. Fantastic. Brings me joy. (laughs) Heather Starrett, the uh, director of the International Joint Commission Great Lakes Regional Office. And uh, one of the guiding forces behind the new, very important triennial assessment of process. Let me try that again. And one of the guiding forces behind the important new triennial. Must be the afternoon. Uh, triennial, one of the guiding forces behind the triennial assessment of progress, which is what we all know to call it. Thank you so much for coming on and teaching us all about the Great Lakes. Thank, Thank you, Stuart. Thank you, Megan. It's been a pleasure. I 
love to hear stuff like that because, um, you know, I, I tend to work on a relatively micro level within our mm-hmm. program, within our state or within our two states and a little bit within our region. When you hear people like Heather there, uh, you know, they're doing this really important work on a governmental in, uh, na- uh, international mm-hmm. level. And and that w- that can be really challenging, but it's it's important because you got to get all the people involved and on board and, and all of that. So it's always interesting to hear that perspective because it is quite different from from mine. Yeah. I, I think it's, it gives me hope, right? Like all the things that we've been doing, it does make a difference, yeah. right? Like, like we haven't been spinning our wheels. We, we are seeing things change. Yep. We are seeing things change. Yeah, cool. As we bring the year to an end, don't forget the Lakeys are coming up. Uh, if we don't get them released in December, then we will get them released in early January as either the first or second episode. I do love the Lakeys. It's just this lot going on. Um, yeah. But Megan, are you fired up about the Lakeys? Are you a Lakeys person? I am a Lakeys person. And I will You were say, on the first Lakey. You missed last Lakeys. What happened? I did. I had COVID. Oh. I was ill. And so I couldn't move yeah. <laughs> when everybody was recording things. I'll be honest. Um, COVID is unlikely to win a Lakey. Uh, it's, yeah. No. Even for being the least prestigious awards from a yeah. Great Lake podcast. No, yeah. we're we're likely not the likely the, not the least yeah. prestigious. Sorry, they <laughs> don't deserve an award. No, no, COVID is is will remain award free. Yeah, <laughs> but I am excited about the Lakeys. We'll see. We'll see them soon. I'm excited for the winners too. Are you are you going to do it this? Well, I guess it depends on when we're recording. It depends on when we're recording. Can I get a commitment from you right now? No, it's okay. We don't need to put that pressure. I would if it would be after the new year. Um, Mm. But I, the people that earn it, the people that win it, they have earned it. So I hope they take that to heart. You win a lakey for a year, but you have a lakey for a lifetime. For life, (laughs) yeah. Teach Me About the Great Lakes is brought to you by the fine people of Illinois, Indiana Sea Grant. We encourage you to check out the cool stuff we do at iicgrant.org and at ILINC Grant on Facebook, Twitter, and other social media. Our senior producer is Carolyn Foley, and Teach Me About the Great Lakes is produced by Hope Charters, Megan Gunn, and Rini Miles. Ethan Chitty is our associate producer and our fixer. Our super fun podcast artwork is by Joel Davenport. Joel, hope you have a good holiday, my friend. The show is edited by me while we find someone to replace the irreplaceable Quinn Rose. If you have a question or comment about the show, please email it to teach me about the great lakes at gmail.com. Or leave a message on our hotline at 765-496-IISG. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Teach Great Lakes. But boy, do we have some findings and recommendations about that place. Thanks for listening and keep grading those lakes. I just realized I haven't been recording my backup uh, mic the whole time. So hopefully my audio was fine in StreamYard. Otherwise, who will? Uh, <laughs> did I tell you about we had this guy, Tom Coombs, on, um, who's a meteorologist uh, with uh, uh, ABC, I don't know, 56 or 57 in South Bend. This was episode three or four. And so this is like our first person who had a public profile we got on. And so Carolyn and I, was it Carolyn? Was it Hope? 
whoever it was, we were nervous. Um, and, and I was having some sort of, it turns out the USB mic I was using at the time was breaking, but I didn't know it. And so mm-hmm. I kept making this noise like every now and again, and it would just like come to a crescendo and, and Tom would be like, um, your audio is bad. And I was like, Oh, sorry. <laughs> so I kept recording. He kept going, Oh, your audio is bad. Uh, <laughs> Like every five minutes, it was super horrible. And then, um, so what I had to do, I went back to listen to edit it. This was before we had Quinn. And it was, uh, the audio was completely unusable. So oh, then in my yeah. office, I'm doing, do you know ADR? That's uh, that's like when the movies, they go back and re-record dialogue like over their lip sync. Mm-hmm. So I was ADRing my own <laughs> interview. It took like like four hours for the 30-minute yeah. interview. And like trying to remake the same lame jokes. It was just, oh, it was rough. <laughs> it was rough.